Luck on Sunday. Brought to you by Whirlpool. Bet with the world. And we're going to start the rest of our talking points this week with Frankie Dottori's retirement U-turn and the announcement that he's going to ride in America for good. You're going to hear a little bit of Frankie Dottori talking to me earlier in the week first, and then our panel are going to react. I announced my retirement, thinking, well, I'm going to be 53 at the end of this year and, uh, you know, give myself plenty of time to give my last farewells. So I head towards California, where I found myself second in the standing, having an amazing four months, uh, and I really loved the lifestyle. Then came back to Europe and furthermore, you know, I'm not going to name them all, but the mm. Guineas and Royal Asco wins and uh, other big wins throughout the season has uh, really tickled my emotions. And uh, now that we are come to the 21st of October, what will be my final day in England, uh, I had second thought and uh, I discussed with my wife and my parents that uh, I want to carry on a little bit longer in, the, in California where I had such a lovely winter because I mean, the, the dynamic of my year has changed so much. If I wasn't riding any winners or not get riding in the big races, it would have made my decision much easier. But at this point, I'm, I'm still feeling good and I gotta get out of my system. So uh, it's very painful to just let go, but uh, I am, that's the reason that uh, I am retiring from Europe, mm -hmm. but I am carried on for a little bit longer in the USA. Okay, so you go to America, same as last year, same meet, Santa Anita. So you do your Breeders' Cup, Melbourne Cup, maybe Hong Kong, all the international stuff, and then you go and ride as a full-time jockey, as you did last year, after Christmas. Yeah, absolutely. Um, um, obviously, some of my closest friends had a pretty good idea that that's, that's in, in the summer that that was my intention. Um, John, John Gosden kindly gave it away yeah, on, yeah. on Saturday. Yeah, thanks, John. And I, in the meantime, I did apply for, for a visa and um, it's been accepted. And we are, myself, my wife, Catherine, we're going to move full time to um, Los Angeles. and um, And to do exactly the same as last year, but this time I'm, I'm going to stay there for good. Uh, when I say stay there for good, look, it could be three months or three years, but I want to um, give it a good go uh, in the USA circuit and the international circuit like Dubai and Saudi when when their dates will come along. And um, and the dream is to find those for the Kentucky Derby. So. Um, you know, a lot of things have changed in this year, and that's why I came with this decision. Frankie Dottori, uh, full of cautious excitement for his, his next venture as he performs his retirement U-turn. Our panel, now full of pastry, are going to discuss <laughs> whether, whether he's done the right thing or whether this whole uh, farewell show over the last year has been just that. Louis Stewart, what do you think? I mean, for me... I feel there'd always be a soft spot in, in my heart as, as a jockey growing up watching Frankie on the TV. It's an era of the sport that I don't want to see go yet. I know it's very controversial and we can all kind of dictate and say what we think he might and might not do now, but each to their own. He's allowed to have an opinion on whether he wants to make a U-turn or not. 
and I feel that as a jockey, when you're so invested in a sport like this and you're still riding at the top level, it's very hard to take yourself away from that, from a young childhood aspire to ride Group 1 winners. Uh, there's been a lot this week of, oh, everybody knew he was going to do this, everybody knew he was going to go to California, and indeed that might have been the case. Is there anything here, any aspect of it, that has surprised you at all? No, I, I don't think so. I think it's one of them where if his season maybe hadn't gone as smoothly as it had, things could have been different. But but like I've mentioned, every jockey aspires to ride Group 1 winners. And when you're riding Group 1 winners on a regular basis, to take yourself away from that after being 30 years invested in a sport that's so demanding on your body physically and mentally, I think um, it's the right thing for him, clearly. It's very difficult to walk away from any <coughs> job in, in horse racing, even if you're a mezzanine level performer Huey Morris and he's definitely not a mezzanine level performer he's been a top level performer for over three decades what do you think of this whole year for Frankie Dottori? Well when he announced it whenever it was in the spring I thought that was a brave decision to say this is my farewell year because <coughs> he could have had a terrible first month and got no rights and then it would have been a damp squib it's obviously turned out totally the opposite uh, of course he wants to carry on riding. Uh, um, it's just, it just looks a bit um, sort of strange when you've announced your retirement, but people do it all the time, so I'm not too worried about it. There's been quite a bit of comment, Lee, this week about you know how the public have been hoodwinked and people have turned up to see and it's not going to be his last Ascot. Does it take the guilt off the gingerbread, do you think? No, I don't think so, Nick. No, I think, I think people largely, apart from those who like to have a bit of a grumble on social media, have enjoyed... There's quite a lot of a grumble, isn't there? Yeah, but there's still a relatively small portion of people. I, I think generally people have enjoyed this year. I mean, uh, to be at those meetings, like particularly like York, where he had that great Saturday, people really revelled in that. And people are allowed to change their mind. You look at Mark Cavendish, top-level cyclist. We went into this year's Tour de France celebrating his farewell Tour de France. He had a crash. He realised he wanted to do it again, so he's back again next season. Um, it does, to an extent, make the people selling Champions Day on Saturday. <laughs> that's a slightly awkward job, because I don't think, with the best will in the world, despite what Frankie's saying, that most people don't believe that he won't be riding well, at Royal Ascot they, they got next a, year. They got, they, got, they got him on a trampette on BBC Breakfast. They so, did, yeah, they did. You know, and, and, it's but, about the marginal gains in this game, isn't it? And again, Nick, you know, the, the whole point of Frankie is that he has promoted this sport better than any other individual for decades. Now, nobody else in racing would have attracted a BBC breakfast feature on a, on a Thursday morning. Uh, here, here's something I, I, I'm going to suggest to you, Louis, is that in other sports, and particularly in rugby union and rugby league cricket, players have benefit years or testimonial years where it's established right from the outset this is their chance, effectively, to kick-start their, their pension fund, really, uh, and much has been made of, oh, he's, he's greedy, he's doing everything for the money. Jockeys do not earn the money that other top-level sportsmen do. If you've been a, um, an ambassador for the sport or riding at the top level for this long, couldn't you just say, without saying you're retiring, this is my benefit year, this is my testimonial year? Would, would, the, would the racing public buy that, or would there just be accusations of greed? I mean, there's always accusations of, of greed in this situation because we look at the prize money in the racing post and you think, oh, my God, like a million pounds up for grabs mm. and the winning jockey's going to get the whole pot. It doesn't work like that, obviously, breaking it down. There's percentages what we do and don't get. 
And unless you have a uh, kind of security behind you in an owner or trainer will pay you a wage to ride these horses, then you are very much out there on your own and, and you have to fend for yourself. So I, I think what Frankie's doing is, is only normal. I think people forget that when these jockeys go abroad to Saudi and Qatar and Dubai, they get appearance fees and they get paid for going there. So I don't think it's something to turn your nose up and say he's being a certain way because I don't think he is. I just think he's, he's getting what he deserves. He is the Galactica of our sport mm. and I think it's fair. Well, it's good for racing. Frankie's carrying on. Yeah. You know, he's a great draw. Yeah. So yeah. Um, <clears throat> if he's back at Ascot and that puts another thousand people on the crowd, fantastic. It's certainly good, we for, enjoy, we enjoy good for Santa Anita, that's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, totally. And, you know, it, for people watching American racing over here, they will have an added interest. Now, weren't they over, the, over 2024? Um, and I, I hope he makes a success of it because we have seen this year that he's still riding as well as ever. You know, some of his, his rides... This season, Mostadaf at York International, we're sublime. You know, he, he's not riding like a guy whose talents are diminishing. And therefore, if he feels that he can get another two or three years out of his career yeah. by riding somewhere where maybe the physical demands, the travel demands are less, and if we then get to see him now and again at Royal Ascot in a derby, in an arc, fantastic. All right, let's move on. <laughs> I, can, I can hear your sighs of relief at home. <laughs> Holly Doyle, good week or bad week for Holly Doyle? It was a good week because she's be going to become the first uh, European-based female rider to get a ride in the Melbourne Cup and a pretty good ride as well. Um, a bad week because she has picked up a suspended suspension. Now, she's unlikely to have to serve that because she's unlikely to re-offend, you would have thought. But, Louis, this is quite a complex issue. She's, she tested positive for a painkiller. Uh, she didn't realise had um, a codeine derivative in it, which is not allowed, because um, basically she couldn't read the instructions in Japanese, it seems. Which well, I can't talk Japanese either, so I wouldn't have been able to help her in that situation. But that, that's, the, that's the basic yeah. fact. Yeah, it's... Um, when, when she had her elbow injury. Yeah, it, it's, it's tricky, isn't it, what you, I guess, think you can and can't take with the rules getting stricter and, I guess, more regular testing. You have to be very wary on, on where you go with what tablets you take. Um, this was a suspended suspension. Uh, I think, you know, under strict liability, realised that the BHA had to issue some sort of sanction, but have tried to minimise the inconvenience and pain that it's going to cause her. Harry Burns, the young jockey we had on the show a few weeks ago with Crohn's disease, he wasn't quite so fortunate. I think it's very sad what happened to Harry. I actually shared uh, a room with Harry at the British Racing School when we first started together, and uh, a very nice um, lad and, and one that took his job very seriously. And... I just think for him to ride with a disease like that and, and um, ride to a level that is very good, I think he's a good rider, is, is great. And for him to be, I guess, slapped on the wrist for doing something that was only going to benefit his health is um, quite sad. And so there's a, you feel there is a disparity between the two cases? Yeah, of course. Obviously, I think they're a bit different in the fact that Holly's is kind of an off-chance thing where it happened, I guess... Um, it happened in a way that she didn't know she was doing it and Harry was in two minds on, on what to do, I guess, in telling the, the BHA he was taking a different uh, medication. But I think um, the offence that Harry suffered was not fair compared to, um, I guess, what we're talking about with Holly. Yeah, fundamentally, I think she will reflect on the week as a good week, having picked up that Melbourne Cup ride, but it's certainly a, an interesting debating point. Who was the people's champion in the racing post, Lee Motter said? Was it Desert Orchid? 
Was I, it red rum? I thought it would be desert orchid. It yeah, wasn't so a jump source, amazingly, given the four, overwhelming popularity yeah, of jump racing. We had, Who was four, it? we had four jumpers, desert orchid, Corto star, Denman and red rum up against Frankel. Um, and Frankel won. 27% um, of the, the vote finished in front of Corto star and desert orchid. I had a very nice day on Tuesday in Newmarket with Jane Cecil, went to see Frankel. And you still get starstruck when you when you're close up to him. It is a remarkable experience. But I I, I did think it was a an interesting outcome. Um, very very few horses transcend the racing bubble into the that of the the wider public, and very few flat horses do. But Frankel did do that. I do think, as Jane pointed out when when we spoke, and people connected to Frankel widely have done, that the connection with Sir Henry Cecil. Mm. Was, was crucial to that too. For those three years, and particularly in 2012, it was the story of, of horse and human and their incredible relationship together. But I, but I <coughs> thought it was a great outcome. Um, I was happy to see Frankel win. I think in some ways though, it does tell you how much of an impact Desert Orchid and Red Rum made that they fared so well, given that this voting was done through social media. Mm. Um, Desert Orchid and Red Rum existed at a time when their audience had never heard of, of social media. These sorts of polls tend to have a heavy recency bias um, connection to them. So I think mm. the fact that Desert Orchid and Red Rum did so well in those circumstances shows you how popular they were and how popular they remain. Or that horse racing's fan base is now just male, pale and stale. Well, I mean, looking at us, how can anyone say That's that? I didn't want to mm. say. <laughs> nothing stale about Louis Stewart. <laughs> and nothing stale about these pastries either. Gorgeous. Frankel was the, the people's champion. You think it should have been red rum, don't you? Undoubtedly, yeah. yeah. Well, he won a, uh, he won a two-year-old race mm. uh, at Aintree. He won three Grand Nationals when it was a real Grand National. He, he was... Second twice, isn't it? Yeah, he was just phenomenal. He was a sort of a freak. Not saying Franco wasn't a freak, but um, and he was probably the best racehorse we've seen. But he, you know, he didn't go abroad. He didn't go over a mile and a half. Red Run won over five furlongs and four and a half miles. And that would have been enough for you. One horse who's not going to be the people's champion, however good he has been, is Ace Impact. Retired after a sixth race, but brilliant career. Prix de Jockey Club winner, Arc de Triomphe winner, and that's it. He's off to stud. Uh, like he flashed across the skyline like a wonderful sparkling comet, and now that's it. Should we feel shortchanged? I think we, we're always going to feel shortchanged when we have a really good horse. Um, he's a I saw. I had luck enough to see him at um, Longchamp. He's a, he, he, was, he was quite on his toes. I was. Somebody commented, "Oh, he's not on his toes as much as he he uh, can be." He, he, uh, he looked to me a very nice individual. I, it's a, it's just a shame when anything retards. We want competition, don't we? Mm. And when competition's taken away, that you know we've argued, talked about this. Uh, Decades now, but it would have been it would be nice to see him say come over and win the King George. Okay, you understand the commercial realities of it. Yeah. Would you have retired him, or would you have gone? No, I reckon I've got potentially a Japan Cup, potentially some of the really big European prizes next year. Burnish his reputation even further. I think the cash, cash to take at start was greater than the possible cash. Comes down to money, really, doesn't it? Would you have taken the cash? I think as a trainer, I would have carried on training him, wouldn't I? Louis, have they made the right call? 
I'd have took the cash, definitely. Mm. Um, I think the way racehorses are now in, in this era, it's kind of all led to what they can do at stud. And to be unbeaten, there's a very high risk now going forward on what he achieves and, and when he steps foot on a racetrack. You know, if, if he doesn't win, that could tarnish a lot for for um, his stud career. So I think it was the right decision to be made and um, who wouldn't want to be a millionaire from it? When, he, when Louis puts it like that... Oh, yeah. And listen, there's, there's complete commercial logic to it but it is very disappointing um, I was relieved at one point that they hadn't come out with that appalling phrase that we often hear in these circumstances he's got nothing left to prove oh but then I heard on your pod <laughs> Matthew Alex from Arida Beaumont saying what more could he do well he could have done loads yeah he could have taken on three-year-olds next well year. he could have gone to say, Japan and taken on Equinox yeah, for don't a start say what more could he have done he raced for less than a year ace impact will have made almost no impact on the, the wider sporting public. I can see what they've done, but what this shows is how we differ to Japan. If we say that Japan is almost the, the beau ideal at the minute as a, as a racing nation, this sort of decision would have been unthinkable there. The idea that a top three-year-old Colt would be retired at the end of his three-year-old season would be almost unheard of. Um, they have a better model than we do in that regard. Okay, let's talk about the uh, £250 million hit to the industry. <coughs> this is the uh, latest uh, figure that has been uh, produced in response to the um, affordability checks and the, the gambling commissions um, acting on the, uh, the legislation that we, we believe is going to, to come yeah. forward. Lee, uh, what's, the, what's the latest? So Martin Credis, mm -hmm. the um, chief exec of the Arena Racing Company, obviously no major race course owner, um, in Britain has sent a letter to the Culture Secretary, Lucy Fraser, um, with the support of a number of major racing organisations um, in the country, including the NTF and the PGA, um, in which he has laid out numbers that he believes, racing believes, uh, affordability checks um, are going to cost the sport going forward. He speaks about £250 million over five years and to put that into context Nick we're gonna be hearing from Richard Wayman soon to talk about um, the fixture list and the changes to the fixture list through premiorization that are coming in the projections from those changes are that they could make a 90 million pound difference over five years this is, it is five or three years was it three I thought it was five maybe three but 90 million quid this is 250 million quid through affordability checks yeah so the the financial difference here is, is, is enormous. Um, we're still at a point where the gambling commission, the industry regulator, doesn't seem to want to properly engage on this. Its consultation ends next week, but when the gambling commission is asked heavy, serious questions, it chooses not to answer them. Philip Davis MP, who's been on this programme regularly, Nick, he said this week how he had put to the Gambling Commission why it hadn't produced details relating to a previous consultation it had carried out on this subject, and it basically refused to do so after an FOI request. So um, I think it's right that the sports heavyweight figures are continuing to push this because it will, it already is having a massive impact on the sport, it will have yeah. an ever-increasing impact. We're going to talk a bit more about the fixture list <coughs> in some depth in a moment, so we're going to kick on and talk about the yearling sales, Huey, because uh, the Tapsall's yearling sale concluded yesterday with book four, obviously it's going to start with great fanfare and the fanfare is going to lessen as the, mm. the lots make 
less money. Do you have an overarching observation on the yearling sales season from a trainer's perspective and what kind of orders you're getting? Um, I'd, I'd, I'd prefer to sort of ex extend that to a, a general perspective. Mm. I think the, at the top end, it looks strong. There are a lot of disappointed vendors. Uh, it, if you go to Tassels the week before last, you'll, you'll see four or five major stallions being supported by stallion owners. Mm -hmm. So a very constricted market. There was a very constricted market at the top end. Um, and without foreign investment, it would be a disaster. If you were relying on the UK or even European buyer, it would be an absolute disaster. So from a, it still looks to a trainer to be expensive. Um, last uh, test was part two uh, with Thurlow Thoroughbreds. We were trying to look for a, a nice horse um, for, say, 100,000 which is, in, uh, in my book, a lot of money. And we kept being outbid. And every, I think we got outbid four times in, in six waves, yeah. obviously in succession. Every time I've, the buyer that was a foreign owner, would have been a foreign owner. Eventually, I'd like to say we got the final lot of the, of the part two. So that suggests the market is strong in certain places. Yes, but if you can't get a bite at 100 grand on a horse that you'd valued at 100 grand and all those horses are going for more, that suggests the market is strong, doesn't it? Yeah, yes, but you've got to look at the other side of the coin. Mm. If you've got a stallion which costs you 30, 40 grand, and mm. that, there lies the problem, stallion nominations are too strong, you're probably looking at a mere value depreciation over, a, say, a five-year period, you're putting in probably 20, 30 grand. It's going to cost you 20, 30 grand. So you've got to make 100 grand grand from a 20 30 grand nomination so and when you look at the the number of horses which didn't make that which would be and those which are stallions relate uh, which are covering for less which were making zero over the last two couple of days it's an industry with a huge amount of problems okay. the breeding industry um, let's talk about the fixture list which has finally been revealed and in the moment we're going to be talking to Richard Wayman the chief operating officer of the British Horse Racing Authority who has brought this all together. What are the key questions, do you think? Whether, whether the industry can actually, you know, from a trainer's point of view, uh, and trainer, we're all owners as well, is whether the, we can provide the raw material for this fi fixture list. Um, <clears throat> I think you alluded to the fact that there are only 20 less fixtures the number of horses is reducing, I understand. Mm -hmm. So I'm not sure what's really been achieved. And, I, and I, there are, if you're putting on fixtures on a s over the weekend when people won't go, and I don't think they're going to go in the same on a Saturday morning as they would do on the Saturday afternoon, mm -hmm. I think that's incredibly naive. The only way we grow our industry is by growing the audience and we need the audience to go racing and they're not going to go on a Saturday morning. Grow the audience who are actually going to the sport yes. live or growing a television audience? I don't think people watch it necessarily in the, in the Saturday, on a Saturday morning. I think it's, uh, you know, we keep getting talked about data. What is the data? Are we just talking about betting data that people sit at home and bet? Well, that's fine, but we actually need people to come, to actually some connectivity with the racehorse. Mm. We need people to go racing. Then they might own a racehorse. 
because quite soon, you know, if we if we only put it on for the betting industry, as we've done for the last 20, 30 years, we're slowly going to lose our actual sort of tangible interest from people. What do you make of the notion that the, the, the premierization move, such as it's been, been called, is trying to do that, to drive tangible interest in the story behind the story? I don't think it's going to change much, right, is it? Because ITV put on whatever it is, three or four meetings, uh, and the racing's one after another. We've got that anyhow. Mm. I think they do a great well, job they doing did that. Nine, they did nine yesterday, yeah. ten the day before. Uh, so. <laughs> in fact, there might have been Hexham in the afternoon. It's now got to move to the morning. I, c I can't really see what the, uh, that's going to help anything, yeah, other than a bit more betting turnover. It might mean that nobody goes to Hexham. 